Wellspring podcast is presented by Wellspring of Life Church, a community of faith, hope, and purpose. Tonight, I'm going to speak about another shaker and mover that maybe you don't know a whole lot about, but a little bit. But I'm going to start off. It was Friday, April the 3rd, 2004. The news of another soldier killed in the Middle East was reported. Now, we never get used to these reports back when we were getting those pretty regular. Everybody can remember back then what was going on. But there was uh, something unique about this one soldier. His name was Pat Tillman. Some of you may have heard of him. And what he did was extraordinary. And here's why. Tillman had everything a man could want. Being a man, he was drafted into the NFL Arizona Cardinals in 1998. And he won the strong safety position where he broke the franchise record for tackles in 2000 with 244. Now here he was at the top of his game. Had a $3.6 million contract and he wasn't any, never been any more anybody more secure than him. Even the Super Bowl champions at the time, St. Louis Rams, they were after him with three times as much money as he was making. So you could say he was living the American dream. But then 9-11 struck and a higher cause gripped him. In May of 2002, at 25 years old, he walked away from that NFL contract that he had, trading it for an $18,000 a year salary from Uncle Sam as an Army Ranger. You know, he didn't make a big deal about it. He didn't have big news conferences and everybody, everybody was talking about it, don't get me wrong, but he wasn't in the middle of it. He didn't make a big deal about it. He didn't take interviews. He, he backed off of those. And he told his friends he just wanted to give something back to his country. You know, he said the right things. Everybody wants to be able to, I want to give something for my country. And that was him. But two years later, he was killed about 25 miles from a U.S. military base in Kost, Afghanistan. Now, after that happened, there was plenty of comments from his fellow players, his soldiers, and politicians in the wake of his death. But his agent, Frank Bauer, said something that kind of stuck out more than the rest of all these comments. He said, they talk about the impact player in football, which, which is what he was, a real impact player. Well, Pat, he said, was an impact person. He made a difference. He swam against the current. And he left a mark on those who knew him. Some, some liked him, some didn't. But regardless, they couldn't say that he wasn't a true patriot. And today I want to talk about another impact person from the Old Testament. Like Tillman, he wasn't a headliner of the Bible. You typically hear a lot more about Abraham or David or Paul than this quieter hero of faith. I guess you could kind of call him one of the not-so-rich and famous of the ancient world. People like you and me common men who did uncommon things because they trusted the unchanging promises of God. Tonight, I want to focus on a regular guy named Gideon. I love this story. And not the guy that put all the Bibles in the room. We appreciate that guy, you know, doing all that. But this is Gideon. Uh, he's not very impressive at first look. But he makes some choices that flow from his faith in God. And it's so significant is the mark that he leaves, the impact that he leaves that he's listed in Hebrews 11 among the rest of the movers and shakers of the Old Testament. Don't believe me, just look at that chapter 11. It's full of men of faith, men of God. Like I said, I call them movers and shakers. So listen to his story as we work our way through Judges chapter 6 and 7. So that's your next cue if you got your word. Open it up, and we're going to, I love Dave to death, but I'm going to do more than two or three or four or five or six verses. I'm going to do two chapters. So get your sleeping blankets out and ready to go. We're going to, no, we're not going to be here a while. We'll get through them pretty quickly. 
But we're going to look at some of the lessons on trusting God as Gideon did. But before we get into the story, I'm going to give you a little bit of background in case there's not a lot you know about this story. We're going to talk about the judges that Israel had, the cycles, and the enemies that they faced. First, the judges. Now, if you remember, after Joshua had defeated all the Israel enemies and established the tribes of Israel in the promised land, then, then he died. He, he passed on. And instead of pointing, appointing another main military leader, God would occasionally raise up men and women who were called judges to lead the Israelites. The very fact that they had to, you know, to fight the enemies they had was due to their own disobedience. But nevertheless, God was gracious as he is with us and would provide them with the necessary leadership to get them back on track. But even then, some of the leaders weren't as good as they should have been. Then they had the cycles. Israel, they'd have it good for a while. They'd turn away from God, suffer, repent, and God would send a judge to bail them out. And now the enemy that they would face, these are going to be the Midianites and their allies, and they were extremely powerful and oppressed the Israelites without mercy. Every year around harvest time, the nomadic Midianites would invade Israel, and what they couldn't carry with off with them, all the goods, crops, animals, whatever, they'd just destroy, ravaged them. So you've got your Bibles ready for us. Now, Mike, I don't know how many people take notes, but if you do, here's my first note to take. God uses tough times to get our attention. I'll say it again. God uses tough times to get our attention. You know, as we open up in Judges, we find that the nation of Israel, they were coming off a time of relative ease. It's been about 40 years. The bills are all paid. The kids are behaving. Business is good. Everything's coming up roses. And as it tends to happen to us in such times, Israel forgot God. I hate to admit it. And you would too. But we all have had times like that. So the Lord shook things up a little bit by waking an enemy against them to show them how life, how hard it can be without him. So let's look at verses 1 through 6. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so Now here the Bible reports that it was so bad, many of them left, many of the Israelites, they left their homes to live in caves and strongholds, fearing for their lives. And this went on for seven years. Finally, the Israelites cried out, O oh Lord, help us. What are we going to do? I'm glad we don't wait seven years. Amen? Yeah. Why did they wait so long to turn to the Lord? Because they're a lot like us. Things don't change through the years. We've got, I can remember as a kid with a crank up phone and you'd, or you'd be on a party line with four other people. And now look at us. Seems like it changed, but has it really? Seems like we still have the same problems that they had. They waited until every possible option played out, and they couldn't take it any longer before they called on the Lord. Don't get in that situation. How many times have hard circumstances come to us, and we never really stopped to ask, you know, what's God's plan for this, in, in this, for us? We say, wow, oh Lord, wow, oh Lord, instead of saying, God, I know something's happening to me. 
So what am I supposed to get out of this? We've talked about Tuesday night, same thing. And what a difference it'll make. Because, you know, we always think that we can handle everything on our own. But we need to learn this just like Gideon. Every experience in life is a test. Every experience. And every trial in the lives of God's people is tailored to draw us closer to God. I don't think anybody would lift their hand if I say, hey, is there anybody in here who doesn't draw, need to draw closer to God? Nobody's going to lift their hands. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12 says, do not despise the Lord's instruction and do not resent his discipline. For the Lord disciplines those he loves, just as a father disciplines the son he delights in. And I'm glad for it. You know, God loves you too much to let you keep on living the way you're living. He has designs in our troubles, and, and they're always good. You know, when times get tough, instead of looking at them as if God's punishing you for something you did in the past or maybe in something you're thinking about doing, you need to see that as his gift of grace. My next highlighted item, God sees more than we do. God sees more than we do. Let's pick it back up in verse 7. When the Israelites cried to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord God of Israel says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them from before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. And here's the kicker. But you have not listened to me. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. And when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, the wonderful thing about God is that even though we're slow in returning to him, he's never slow in responding to us. We may think he's taking his sweet time, but he's not. You know his time's what it needs to be. In verses 7 and 8, we find that the Israelites, they cried out to God, and he moved in mercy and love toward them. He told them the truth and began to work behind the scenes to help them. And he sends this unnamed prophet to call them back to total surrender and full devotion. But his plan also included an unlikely man named Gideon. Now normally, he's, you'd thresh wheat out in the open so the wind would blow the chaff off and kind of get it separated out for you, but they're too scared because of all the Midianites, what they've been doing. They never knew when they was going to attack. And Gideon, had, he'd been stung before, so he goes into hiding to do this in that underground press, hoping to avert the attention of the Midianites. You know, it's a pitiful sight. It's one full of frustration when you stop and think of how you normally do things in your life, and then all of a sudden now you've got to change every way you do anything that you do because you're in fear of somebody taking it away from you. But when the angel of the Lord appeared and spoke to him, said, you know, go mighty warrior I can see Gideon looking around for a mighty warrior because he knew it wasn't him lowly as he was you know he's thinking is God being sarcastic here is this is this prophet being un or sarcastic or did God see more than Gideon saw I believe God saw what he was going to make out of Gideon and it was time Gideon saw it too listen do you know who you really are do you know what's deep inside, what you're capable of? Have we ever put it to the test? One of the biggest lies that we tell ourselves is that God only uses special people. Sometimes we forget that we're born-again believers. We're called God's children, his friends in John chapter 1 and 15. And we are adopted into his family as his masterpieces. That's in Ephesians chapter 1 and 2. We've been justified Freed forever from condemnation from God. 
never to be separated from his love. That's Romans chapter 5 and 8. And our citizenship, it's in heaven. Philippians 3. We belong to God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And we have everything that we need from him for a life of godliness. God knows who we are even if we don't. And he will work to help us see our true identity. How many of you here believe that tonight? Amen? I'm glad half of you do anyway. My next point, God confirms his priorities with his presence. Again, God confirms his priorities with his presence. Let's go to verse 13. But sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us in the hand of Midian. And the Lord, I love that what it says here. It didn't say the unnamed prophet. It says the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan's the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. And the Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. Whew, right there. Man, that's some strong stuff. You know, after being called a mighty warrior, Gideon, he questions God. I know none of us have ever questioned God on what he's doing. Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? And where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about? And in verse 13, Gideon came to the conclusion that the Lord had abandoned him. But verse 14 records something that must have knocked Gideon's socks off, if he's wearing any. It says that the Lord turned to him and he looked full in his face. Oh, I like that. And, and he said, go in the strength you have. He didn't say go and we're going to build you up on the way he didn't say go to the training room and we're going to build you up to get you ready for this he said no go in the strength you have not what you hope to have what you already have and deliver israel from the power of midian because i'm sending you oh if that didn't lift you off the ground it should have now, at this point, though, I don't think Gideon's quite on board with this decision, and he just kind of notes how you know, unimpressive he is. He don't have a big resume. He says, man, my family is the weakest in the whole bunch, and I'm the youngest. Gideon's probably thinking to himself, boy, yeah, but you've got the wrong guy. You need a hardened warrior for this job. Gideon doesn't have it. They're going to look at him and laugh and just go on, you know. He don't have that kind of authority. But you know, like Gideon, all of us can back down and find good reasons to give the Lord. Amen? It doesn't take much for us. Oh, well, I, 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 and we start stuttering. I can't do that. Uh, I don't have the time. I don't have the ability. I'm not good with my words. I talk like I'm from the South. I can't speak to these people. But honestly, you know, there's no life in that. I wouldn't call that living if you live in that kind of fear and doubt about yourself. You know, fear, it's a funny thing. Five-year-old Johnny, he was in the kitchen, and his mama was making supper. And she told him, she said, Johnny, go into the cupboard and get me a can of tomato soup because I need that to cook with. He just looked at her, shook his head. I'm not going in there. She said, what do you mean? She said, it's dark. There's no light in there. Johnny, go in there and get me a can of tomato soup so I can finish this supper. Nope, not happening. Sorry, Mom. I'll do anything you want, but I'm not going in that pantry. And she'll, she just stopped and said, you know, Johnny, Jesus is going to be with you. He's, go he's in there. He's going to be in there. Take care. I mean, don't be, have, don't be afraid. There's nothing to fear. So he kind of hangs his head down, walks over towards the pantry, starts the open door, kind of peeks in a little bit. Justin starts to walk away, then he stops and thinks, <coughs> he's got to have that tomato soup. So he turns back, opens the door, 
Jesus, if you're in there like Mom said you would, can you hand me a can of that tomato soup, please? And turns around. That's the way we are. We've got fear in us. We don't need to have that. We don't need that. I'm not saying you've got to just go crazy and act like you're 10 foot tall and bulletproof. Not that any of us have ever been, been there or done that. But, you know, it's the way we are. We let fear grab us. And we, like Johnny, we need reassurance from God. Gideon, he needed it too. God provided assurance when Gideon needed it the most. And it all began with a personal encounter. When's the last time you've had a personal encounter with God? God confirms his priorities with his presence. Gideon is given an undeniable commission. He's already told the remarkable results in advance. The Lord told him what's going to happen. And he was promised the unrivaled partnership of the Lord himself. And after further confirmation that he was, in fact, dealing with God himself, verse 22 tells us that the pieces all fell into place for Gideon. So let's pick it up at verse 22. Now, when Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, All sovereign Lord, I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid. You're not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is Peace. And to this day it stands in Ophrah at the Bizrats. That same night the Lord said to him, Take the second bull, from your father's herd, the one seven years old. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord, your God, on top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down off of the second bull as a burnt offering. Now, Gideon, his fears were comforted when he realized who he was talking to. His calling was affirmed, so he builds an altar to the Lord and Gideon needed that personal encounter with God, and God met him right where he was, as he will for us, giving him a sense of peace and purpose by his promised presence. You know, it was said from, of Napoleon that when he went and touched his soldiers and looked at him and talked to him, it made them feel more like conquerors. That's that face-to-face -face relationship. And you know how powerful Napoleon and his army was at, the t at their time. And it's the same way with God. When we get God in a face-to-face -face encounter with us, there's nothing we can't do. There's something that changes in us when we listen to God's voice and we look full in his wonderful face. Suddenly, God's priorities become the most important thing on earth. Gideon was ready for this first test. And now we're ready for this next, next part. Private faithfulness is a prerequisite to public usefulness. As you notice, I'm trying to speak slowly so I'm not slamming them all together like that. <laughs> Private faithfulness is a prerequisite to public usefulness. You know, before Gideon can be used publicly, first he's got to clean up his own backyard. Because his father, they already had altars built at Baal and they were just doing awful stuff. His family was breaking the first and second commandments with idols to build on their property. Now, in the King James Version, it says that the Lord told Gideon to take his dad's young bull and a second bull, seven years old, and tear down the idols. Then Gideon was to sacrifice the second bull using the wood from the destroyed idol. Now, I'm guessing that the Israelites must have hidden this bull because the, the uh, excuse me, the Midianites, I'm thinking of Malachites, I could have said the same thing. <laughs> the same thing. Anyway, that they come in, but they couldn't carry off, they destroyed. So they must have had this bull hid. Now, back in those days, they had their main bull was kind of like a community property to breed other bulls, breed other cows with. So I'm guessing they had this one hid. I mean, how else would this bull get to be seven years old? But anyway, I think that if you want to learn how to trust God, you must first set your own house in order, as Gideon had to do by tearing down those altars. You know, before God can use you mightily, he's got to be magnified in your own life. Private worship prepares us for public power from God. You know, there's no shortcut. You can't say, hey, if I just walk over here, then I can just go jump right in. No, 
There's no shortcuts into doing God's will and to trusting in Him. So think about it. Is there anything you're holding on to that may prevent you from having that one-on-one experience from God? Do you like that side-by-side better than you like coming to church? Do you like going to the picture show better than you come to church? And I'm using extreme examples, but anything can be a hindrance to you. So make sure you get your own yard cleaned up. Because you don't need to be clinging on to any of the sin that's in your life. Knock down those idols that you have. Confess your sin, deal with it, and return to full obedience to God. Now, is it going to stir things up? Oh, yeah, sure it will. But God's going to honor those who honor him. It happened for Gideon. Let's look at verse 27. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the men of the town, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. Now you've got Gideon here. He's he, Okay, I'm going. He's still got that fear in him, so now he does it at night. Now in the morning when the men of the town got up, there was Baal's altar demolished with the Asherah pole beside it, cut down, and the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. And they asked each other, who did this? And when they carefully investigated, they were told Gideon, son of Joash, did it. Now the men of the town demanded of Joash, bring out your son. He must die because he has broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Here's where changes start to happen. Note this next verse. But Joash replied to the hostile crowd around him, Are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. And if Baal really is a god, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. So see, now change is already affecting. We're talking about Joash now who had built those altars and stuff. Now he's defending Gideon and God, saying, Hey, no, he, if Baal's a god, he can defend himself. So after some investigation, the men of the community learned that Gideon had destroyed these idols and sacrificed the bulls. And like I said, that bull was community property. They were pretty upset. The men of the town demanded Joash to give up Gideon for what he'd done. They wanted to kill him. But as I said, this is where the change took place. And Joash started right here. And his father awoke to the truth. If he's a God, let him plead his own case. It's Gideon. He can be patient with us. God is patient with our faith process. Most of you are sports fans, and most of you know about the four-minute mile, hopefully. Men have been trying to run faster since the days of the ancient Greeks. And someone found the old records of how the Greeks tried to accomplish this. They had wild animals chase these runners thinking, well, that's going to make them run faster. Well, as you can imagine, that didn't work out too good for the runners. The animals were happy with it. They, let's go with this. I like it. And runners weren't too happy. Uh, they even tried tiger's milk, not the stuff you can go in the store and buy. They're talking about the real tiger's milk. I'm wanting to see the guy who tried to milk a tiger. I'm not going to get out there. But nothing worked. Everyone decided it was physically impossible for a man to run the four minute, a four-minute mile. You know, our bone structure was all wrong. We didn't have the lung capacity, the wind resistance against us. There was reasons upon reasons why you can't do it. Then, one day, one man proved the doctors and the trainers and the other athletes themselves wrong. Miracle of miracles, Roger Bannister was his name. And he broke the four-minute mile. Now get this. The very year after that, 300 more runners broke the four-minute mile. What happens when someone sees that something can be done? Hey, it can be done. Let's do it. How many times have we not done something because we didn't think we could? The point here is that not only do modern-day Gideons overcome their cowardice, but they live their lives in such a way that challenges others to do their best. So I'm challenging you today to make a decision to do your best. 
You know, you can't win any battles when you're down there hiding in the wine press, worried about somebody's going to steal your wheat. Amen? Can't win those battles. You've got to come out in the open, take your stand. People need someone to rally behind as God's will is pursued. Take your stand with it and let them rally behind you. Verse 33. Now all the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the valley of Jezreel. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon and he blew a trumpet, summoning the Abizrites to follow him. He sent messengers throughout Manasseh, calling them to arms and to go into Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali so that they too went up to meet them. Now, if, if we were watching this on a movie right now, you can, you can, with all this going on, and he's up there blowing, you can just feel the suspense coming. They've got that music rolling up the bottom and it's getting ready because they know something's fixing to happen. That said that the Midianites and their partners are getting ready to make their annual raid. But instead of cringing in a cave, verse 34 said that the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon and he blew the trumpet and the Abizrites rallied behind him. Would Gideon have done this before all this? No way. No, nope, I'm not doing that. But now the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and Gideon taken, had taken a huge step of faith in his private faithfulness and now God's Spirit was drawing people from far and wide. 32,000 men showed up ready to fight. You know, the great thing about taking a risk when you're facing your battle is that it inspires others to join in. When they see that you're not afraid, then it helps them not be afraid. But watch this. Like us, even after this encounter with Almighty God, even though he'd been obedient to clean his house up, to get his backyard in order, and even though the Holy Spirit was empowering, empowering him, Gideon still had those doubts. Sound like anybody we know? He knows that God has promised to save Israel through him. He's told him. But now he's looking in that mirror on the wall over there, and the reflection that he sees doesn't look too encouraging. It was one thing for a farmer to just say that he was going to lead an army into battle. It was another thing for that farmer to actually do it, especially when you've got 32,000 men and the other guys have 135,000 men. Verse 36. Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. And if there's dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you said. And that's what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, Do not be angry with me, but let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. This time... Make the fleece dry and the ground covered with dew. And that night God did so. Only the fleece was dry. All the ground was covered with dew. So here we are. We've got our hero of the story. He's already having a discussion with God. Tell, tell you what, God. If this is what you really want me to do, you've got to give me a sign, bro. Because I've got my doubts. So here's what we're going to do. See how he joined up with that? <laughs> he said, I put out a sheep's fleece on the ground tonight, and if in the morning the ground is dry and the fleece is wet, hey, I'm your guy. And sure enough, that's what happened. And when Gideon got up the next morning, he squeezed that fleece. And you knew it was wet. He squeezed it. And enough dew dripped out of it to fill a bowl. Not a few drops. I'm talking about a bowl full of water, and the ground's dry around it. So Gideon sees that, and I'm thinking, yeah, he's he maybe not shaking as much as he was, but he's still shaking. I don't want to get annoying here, God. I don't want to get on your bad side. But can we try this the other way? How about I leave the fleece out again, and in the morning if the ground is wet and the fleece is dry, hey, I know I'm your guy for sure, okay? I, I'm it. And when he gets up that next morning, shh, there it is again. So now Gideon starts to think, hey, God's meaning business. He's doing, he, he's doing what I'm asking him to do. It's, it's going to be right. 
what God was doing was developing Gideon into a, a fully convinced servant, matching each doubt that he had with a reassurance to build his faith. And he's going to show you the same patience as well. When, when you trust God, he's going to give you something to know that your trust in him fully is warranted and it's going to be well received. And he'll show you the same patience as he showed Gideon. He didn't tell Gideon, no, I'm not going to do that. I already done it once. No, he did it again and again. And he's going to do it again and keep on doing it again. So he's going to He's going to reassure you and allow, he's going to even allow your fears to grow you into a man or a woman of God. Our next point, success is determined by God's power, not ours. Oh, how many times do we need to hear that? Success is determined by God's power, not ours. Can you trust yourself with everything you do? I can't. But I know God is faithful. So we're going to start the chapters. He's already been through one chapter, and I haven't even been 15 minutes yet. No, no. Chapter 7. Let's look at verses 2 and 3. The Lord said to Gideon, now remember, he's only got, he's got 32,000 men against 135. You have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands in order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her, announce now to the people, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So what happens? 22,000 men left while 10,000 remain. Whew! Gideon, he's kind of ready to rumble now. He's got the fleece thing behind him. He's all psyched up. He's got this down. Oh, yeah, we're going to do it. Got his 32,000 men. He said, yeah, it's, it's going to be something, but I've got these men and the fleece. I'm going. He's thinking it's going to be so good, so cool. But God's got other plans. And the Lord said to Gideon, hold on, son. You got too many men. If I hand the Midianites over to you, Israel's going to brag. Oh, we did it ourselves. Saying, huh? Bra Lord, what you talking about? <laughs> too many men? How can you have too many men for a battle? But you see, God wanted this to be a God thing. Now, Gideon, he wanted it to be a man thing because he's pumped up as we would be had we been in that position. And the one thing I love about these old stories Gideon is no different than you and me, any one of us, until he puts his faith in God. But yet, he's still thinking the, the manly part. And you can't blame him for that. I mean, he's a man. But God said, you've got too many men, and when they win, they're going to think that they did it all by themselves. So tell them, whoever's afraid can go home, go home. So Gideon gets up and makes that announcement. Now, he's probably thinking, okay, we'll have a few wimps that go. You know, I've seen some guys over there. They're, you know, they're, they're not as old as Moses is back here, but they're pretty old. So they can't probably no help, you know. And that's the Moses I'm talking about in the back. <laughs> uh, but the next thing you know, 22,000 men, they head for the hills. Go back to their tents, go back home. Just like that. Now, Gideon's got 10,000 men. <laughs> <laughs> 10,000 men. And as I said, everybody remember how many men the, the Midianites were? 135, right? Uh, 135,000, excuse me. Yeah, right, Lord, okay. So let's look at verse 4. But the Lord said to Gideon, there's still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will sift them for you there. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water, and there the Lord told him, Separate those who lap the water with their tongues like a dog from those who kneel down to drink. And 300 men lapped with their hands to their mouths. All the rest had got down on their knees to drink. And the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, 
I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other men go, each to his own place. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites to their tents, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. And now the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley. Oh, my, 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 my. Just as Gideon kind of getting his head wrapped around this, what happens? God says, you still got too many men. He's got to be beside himself. I can imagine that that was me, and he told me, and I'm doing, I'm seeing all these men go, and I've got 300 men now. Still too many? Come on, God. The Lord had told him, take him down to the water, and I'll thin the ranks some more. And when I say this one should go with you, take him. And when I say this one shall stay, then he's going to stay. Did I say that right? No, this one shouldn't go. He shouldn't go. Don't take him. So, so Gideon brought the men down to the water, and he sent those who had stuck their head down in the water to drink and kept those who dipped their hands in the water to drink. Those who had stuck their heads down in the water, he sent them away. Now, I've heard a preacher once say that those guys that didn't get down on their knees and stick their head in the water were either probably too old or too fat to do that. <laughs> Can you imagine a 300-pound guy trying to bend over and get into the water without falling in? Ain't going to happen. And he's sure, you know, I'm not, excuse me, bending down on his knees and sticking his head in the water. He's going on in. He's done for. So he's got to get down on his knees, and it probably takes him a few minutes, and then dip that hand down in there. Ah, by the time he gets it up, he's probably spilled half of it anyway instead of sticking his head in the water. But I heard a preacher once say that. And I thought, that's probably about right, you know? Because if God was going to prove his power, can you think of better warriors to have than 300 old fat guys? <laughs> there it is. Just saying. But can you imagine how Gideon felt? He must have gulped pretty hard when he counted how many men were left. 300. Now, chapter 8, that's where I'm getting my numbers of 135,000. Chapter 8 tells us that the Midianite army numbered 135,000. Now, when you break that down, you've got 300 over here and 135 down here. That's 450 men to every one Israelite. How do you like those odds? Yeah, they wouldn't even do those in Vegas. God wants Gideon's army to face this horde with a mere 300 men who know how to drink water politely or are so fat they, they can't stick their head in water. You know, God created an impossible situation of human weakness. He let them see our faults to exalt his own strength. That's his specialty. He takes us at our weakest and makes us into mighty warriors. Remember what Jesus said in Luke 18, 27. Once I started, I know you'll know it. What is impossible with men is possible with God. Here's a good lesson for us. Accomplishing God's purpose is not determined by the bottom line on our financial sheets or the size of our congregation or even the efficiency of our plan, no matter who engineered it or the shape we're in, whether we're big or small. We need to attend to all those things and take care of business, don't get me wrong. But the truth is God is looking to glorify himself here on earth through people who are fully dependent on him. People who believe that he's with them and are ready to charge the hill in the name of the Lord. That's who he's looking for. You know, God doesn't need a majority vote from us. No, he doesn't need us at all, but he invites us to join him in doing his will. And when we do, we're going to reap the benefits and he's going to get all the glory. You know, this saying is often attributed to D.L. Moody. A, a few of you probably know who that is. He said, give me 10 men who fear nothing but sin and love nothing but God and I can change the world. I'm going to say that again. Give me ten men who fear nothing but sin. They're afraid that they don't want to sin. And love nothing but God. Putting him first. 
and I will change the world. Amen. At this point, I'm not sure that Gideon was all that convinced of the validity of this plan. And I know he didn't know who D.L. Moody was. He hadn't heard that saying. But remember, he went from 32,000 men down to 300 men. Now, have you ever doubted, doubted God because of changing circumstances? That ever happened to anybody in here? Don't raise your hand. Might have no minds up. But God told him he's still patient with him. If you don't believe I can do it, then sneak down to the enemy camp and listen to what they're saying. And that's what Gideon did. We're going to read verse 9. And during that night, the Lord said to Gideon, Get up, go down against the camp, because I'm going to give it into your hands. If you're afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what they are saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Pura, his servant, went down to the outpost of the camp. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. He said, I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp, and it struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. And his friend responded, Well, this can not be nothing other than a sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. Now here Gideon, he was still kind of doubting because he's gone from 32,000 down to 300, 300, even though he's seen these mighty things of God. So God told him, here are these two guys are sitting around the campfire toasting their marshmallows. And he said, I had the strangest dream last night. Yeah, what was it? I dreamt that a loaf of barley bread. Now, now, back in those days, barley bread was the junkiest thing you could make to eat bread out of. You know, that's just the way it was. They had the good stuff and the bad stuff. I, I'm, I was told barley is the bad stuff. You did that when you had nothing and you just had to eat it. So not a good loaf of bread, a junky old loaf of bread. It rolled down the hill into our camp and flattened one of our tents. And his buddy says to him, he said, well, your dream can only mean one thing, bro. It's not looking good for the home team. You know, if that tent's flattened, Gideon's going to flatten us, all of his men. And when Gideon heard them talking and heard this dream and the interpretation of it, he rejoiced because he knew it's from God. Now, he did it quietly. Don't get me wrong. He didn't jump up and shout. <laughs> and he went back to camp to rally up the troops. Oh, he's ready now. He's excited. He's heard this. He's had another, another session with God where God let him hear what was going on and what was going to happen. Let's look at verse 15. When Gideon had heard the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped God. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, Get up! The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. Dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. Watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp blow yours and shout, For the Lord and for Gideon. And Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp, at the beginning of the middle watch, just after they had changed the guard. They blew their trumpets, broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew their trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow. They shouted, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon! While each man held his position around the camp. Now that's key. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. The army fled to Beth Shetal towards Zerera, as far as the border of Abel, Mahola, near Tabith. 
Israelites from Naphtali, Asher, and all Manasseh were called out, and they pursued the Midianites. Gideon sent messengers throughout the hill country of Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites and seize the waters of the Jordan ahead of them as far as Beth Barah. So all the men of Ephraim were called out, and they took the waters of the Jordan as far as Beth Barah. They also captured two of the Midianite leaders, Orb and Zeb, and they killed. They were killed at the rock of. Uh, they killed Orb at the rock of Orb and Zeb at the winepress of Zeb, and they pursued the Midianites and brought the heads back to Gideon, who was by the Jordan. Now here we are, Gideon, he's got his 300 men with torches and trumpets, and they separated him into three, three groups. Now it's around 11 o'clock at night because they just changed the guards at the middle watch. Now you can picture this, Gideon's over here with his 100, another 100 over here, another 100 over here, and the camp's all out in here. And Gideon and his 100 men blew their trumpets and broke their jars and the rest of the men followed Gideon's lead as they'd been instructed. They held their torches and shouted, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Now picture this. A normal army has about a thousand men to accompany with a torch and a trumpet and a thousand men. Now here you are knowing that because of the battles you had and you're a Midianite and you see 300 torches blazing in the night and trumpets blaring all around them on both sides and back there, they're thinking, OMG, there's 300,000 men out there and they're ready to kill us. You think you'd be panicking if you was them? Dark and all this going on and all you're seeing is the sky lit up with these <laughs> 300 torches? Uh, they're already scared to death because of, of the dream the soldier had an interpretation. And you know how men like to gossip around a campfire. <laughs> All of them knew about it. So when someone starts running, no matter who it is or which way they're going, somebody's going to pull out a sword and start swinging it because they don't want to get killed. They don't know what's going on. They're just trying to get out of Dodge with their lives. Little did they know they were killing each other. And with all this confusion, it didn't take long for this battle to be over and the remnant fleeing for their lives, headed for the hills. Yeah, it happened in Israel in one of the strangest battle strategies in history. The 300 went out with their trumpets, torches, and jars to meet the 135,000 marauding Midianites. God sent confusion into the ranks of the enemy. So they began attacking each other. And when it was over, 120,000 Midianites were dead, killed by one of another. And the other 15,000, they fled with Israel hot on their heels, chasing after them. God had answered Israel's prayers in their time of need. And he used a common man named Gideon to get those plans set. They didn't have to go fight. All they had to do was obey something that we seem to have a hard time doing. Don't know why it is. It shouldn't be that way, but it is. Once we get ourselves out of the way, maybe it wouldn't be as hard. But the point here I'm trying to make is when tough times come, instead of looking at them as God's punishing you for something you've done done, something you thought about doing, try to see it as God's gift of grace for you. It's his grace is the reason you're going through what you're going through. He uses tough times to get our attention. Has he been getting yours lately? Anybody going through some tough times? Is God trying to get your attention to see if you're living where you're supposed to be living? You know, he always sees more than we do. Do you see yourself as he does? He saw what Gideon could become. Gideon didn't see it. How many times he saw what we could do that we don't see? Is it because we're not looking hard enough? There's so many simple, simple things that you can do that God will bless. You can pray, read your Bible, attend church, share your faith. Just, that's just a few things, simple things. You know, God confirms his priorities with his presence. When's the last time you sensed his presence in your life? 
Is he urging you to trust him now? Private faithfulness is a prerequisite to public usefulness. You know, are there things in your life we all need to take a look around us? Things in our home, things that need to go so God can move in his power. Seems like the only thing that can stop God is us when we don't allow it. Amen? You know, we've got to guard against forgetting God and not in our failure to teach our children about God and his ways. Because that's what happened to Israel. That's why they were in the mess they were in. They had the good times. Like I said, bills are all paid. Kids are behaving. Nothing's going wrong. Money in the bank. Got a little wine in the wine sack. All going good. We don't need God. Oh, we're thanking you. Oh, we're doing good ourselves. And all of a sudden, here it comes. How many times have we been in that same boat? You know, everyone in Israel was doing what was right in their eyes. Even Gideon, the man God was going to use, had to remove some idols first. Had to get rid of some stuff that was keeping him from having that one-on-one -on -one relationship with God. God's patient with our faith process. He meets you right where you are with what you need. You know, if you're a leader, you should be encouraging others. You should be examples for others to follow. That's the price of leadership. Danny's the leader on his job. He has to lead his workers. If he shows a bad example of them, they're not going to be any good. So shame on them if they're not good, but it's because. And I hope everybody else in here is doing the same thing. But you notice how many people rallied behind him once he got out in front. Once he made the effort to take off and do something. Had all those people. Because a lot of people won't even get involved unless someone else is showing their courage. Remember, success is determined by God's power, not ours. Don't go out in false courage. You've got to have God with you or you're not going to succeed. So will you trust God today with your life, with your children, with your family, with your finances, every decision you make, even with your spouse? Will you trust that to God? Let him take over in your life as he should. Something only that we can do. Somebody can't do it for us, and there's no shortcut. Stop where you are. Repent. And God will come through, just like he did for Israel. Amen? Let's stand. Communion is up here, as always. So uh, feel free when we're going to do this last song. And uh, those of you that can stay and pray, it's going to be great. If you can't, we understand. If someone needs prayer, though, please, please don't hesitate to come up. Because I know we have other saints in here that will come and pray with you. Don't ever feel ashamed to come up here and ask for help, for prayer, for anything. Because that's what we're supposed to do as a body, as a family, as a unit. That we would come and Help one another in times of need. Father, we come to you tonight just, just thanking you for Gideon and the power of him and who he represented and his faithfulness to you. And Lord, our prayer tonight is that we can become Gideons. Maybe not to go out and fight a war, Lord, but to be Gideons in our faith of knowing to do the right thing and doing it and having courage to be courageous and not fear things that are around us. Lord, we're going to put our trust in you that you may shine through for us because we know that we can't do anything on our own. But with you, Lord, there is nothing that's impossible. And we praise you for it tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Wellspring of Life Church in Western Colorado. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please visit wellspringoflifechurch.com. So I will lift up. Oh